With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. This is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. The Cuvée Group. Welcome to another edition of the ONG Strike Zone. I'm Brian Fulford, and that man right there is Kelvin Rozier. And uh, it's just us two guys today as our third member of our crew, uh, Kofi Hemingway. Uh, been a little bit under the weather, nothing serious, so don't uh, don't freak out or nothing. But, uh, you know, he's just uh, down and out, so the boys have to fill in for him. Uh, Kelvin, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Glad to be here, man. Got a lot to talk about today. Yes, indeed, we do. Yes, indeed, we do. We finally got a win. Rattlers. Rattler football is on the board with a dub in 2021. It's been two years, 21 months, 660-plus days. Kelvin, they can rejoice in the streets of Tallahassee and around Bragg Stadium. We got to win. We got to win. We got to win. Absolutely, man. A W heals all things. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, good point. It does heal all things. Uh, makes uh, makes you makes you feel a little bit better. And and then again, uh, the defense did a great job. Uh, FAMU with a thirty-four to seven victory over Fort Valley State. And uh, just like back in twenty nineteen. It was Fort Valley State that got us on a nine-game winning streak. So let's not forget that. Uh, but this time, uh, it it, uh, it wasn't quite the offensive showcase that it was a couple of years ago. We actually had to work for this one, did we not? Yes, we did. And uh, I'm not going to be like you were a week or two ago and asking any flowers <laughs> or anything. But um, – this game did kind of play out how I predicted on last week's show uh, what I feel may be the case. You know, I was really afraid of putting the freshmen in. Um, big home crowd, first start, and and um, just being in that environment, you know, I knew he was going to make some freshman mistakes. He had a couple of turnovers and everything, and we got off to, you know, a slow first half. Well, you know, uh, you, you... 
you're we're gonna get into that here in a second. Your your trepidation about your trepidation about the the French <laughs> we we are gonna go back and forth about this all year. I, I or at least until somebody is settled in. But before we get into it, let's let me make sure to remind the people uh to like and subscribe wherever you're watching us. Uh if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you go ahead and like, hit that like button, make sure you're subscribing to us on the Jericho Broadcast Networks. If you're watching us on Facebook, make sure to like and go ahead and share. Share with uh, Rattler Nation and let them know the ONG is live right now. Make sure you're following us on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at ONG Strike Zone. And then, of course, as you see right up there in the top right of your screen, you can always download that Jericho Broadcast Networks app. Just go to your Google or Apple Play Store. My JBN, my BCSN is where you can go. And uh, anytime a show is going on, we are part of the Black College Sports Network. So anytime a show is going out, you uh, you will get a notification about us. And uh, I do, I do. Uh, as we're going into the show, uh, I, I did receive word that uh, Kofi might be in one of the chat rooms. So feel free to uh, comment and leave some comments, whether you're in YouTube or Facebook watching us. And uh, Kofi might be in there to give some uh, commentary as well. So we know he's watching. And again, we want to wish him well and good health. Uh, nothing nothing serious again. Just feeling a little bit under the weather. And uh, so we hope and uh, we, we, we're pretty sure he will be back with us next week. But as we were talking about this game, uh, yes, uh, the freshman quarterback, Junior Maritovic, did get the call to start. Now, notice uh, Coach Simmons went to that decision very early in the week last week. Uh, mm-hmm. And so Junior, Junior did get the start. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was trying to reach out to his high school coach just to kind of get some feel and, and this, you know, uh, play phone tag, really. Never got a reply back to any of my calls or tweets. Uh, so, you know, didn't get a chance to really kind of find out from him what um, – you know, what type of feel he might have for this. But, uh, you, yeah, as you mentioned, um, he did struggle a little bit. First couple of offensive possessions. Uh, we went uh, three uh, – actually, he uh, threw an interception, third third play of the first possession. Uh, ended up throwing an interception. I believe it was uh, the third – no, fifth play. Fifth play of the second possession. And so – Already at that point, you know, everybody's kind of probably buzzing. It's like, oh, my God, here we go. You know, but uh, needless to say, the young man kind of held it, held strong, came back in the third possession, marched the Rattlers down on an 11-play, 64-yard drive, which resulted in a touchdown uh, after a uh, Fort Valley State punt. So we finally get on the board, but, but Kelvin, you know, we really – you know, we, we moved into a, a field goal opportunity uh, in the next possession, and then after that it was a punt, and really it was a half. And, and the offense the offense never really took off. So uh, talk a little bit about that first half from the offense and, and what you saw. So I saw a lot of things that um, concerned me, uh, frankly, the uh, Jackson State game. Um I don't think we're innovative enough in terms of uh, what we're showing. It. And I'm, I'm not sure if we're holding some some plays, plays back or, you know, so that folks don't get an early scout on us or what the case is. But we seem to be 
pretty predictable and basic in terms of uh, a lot of our sets and and run calls right you know pretty much zone reads um and um a lot of screens and outside we still don't seem to be targeting the middle and though we do a decent job of run and run blocking we're not committed to it right we don't stick with it and and, and, and loosen the defense up a little bit more. And so those are some things that I, I noticed. Um, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't fault junior. I mean, all freshmen is going to, you know, the first time I usually uh, going to gonna make some mistakes, right? It happens. So so I still think he's extremely talented. And uh, he, he may be the guy before the season's over with. But what I, I still stick by two things. One, it has to be earned and stats matter. And uh, so uh, I thought, you know, uh, our run game was pretty decent. Our run block was pretty decent. Quarterback play in the first half was not good. And um, offensive uh, protection was average in terms of the passing game. You say that as if, you know, he, he he didn't impress you enough during camp. I mean, from I, I think from everything we've heard though, it was a, a pretty even camp. Uh, you know, um I, I think there are enough reports out there that talk to the level of his acumen. Um I, I guess my thing is there's not much separating him and McKay in terms of on field experience. And so I thought maybe the biggest mistake that was made is not letting those guys both get opportunities in that first half against Jackson State. Um, and, you know, we see it just kind of carried over. And so now we're playing quarterback shuffle where McKay comes in now in the second half. And notice Coach Simmons went to the switcheroo at halftime. Uh, and, and a lot of us, me included, a lot of folks felt like that was the move that should have been made at Jackson State is make the switch at halftime. But Coach held on to McKay until he finally had to make the switch, uh, you know, from the reports that, that I heard. Um, and, and so now it brings us to this quandary as we get ready to go into game three against an FBS opponent. There has not been an official statement as to who is going to be starting. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I honestly don't think we'll know until Saturday. I, I think coach will keep that in his pocket until Saturday. Now, now you, you guys remember you guys talked about being coy against Jackson state. Now, now coach can really be, you know, keep it in his pocket now because it's like, okay, we got two quarterbacks. I'm not going to tell you which one we're going to start until after the kickoff or our first possession. Now he can be, what you guys, you know, wanted him to be uh, previously, right? Absolutely, and and I, I helped coach out a little bit more with that. We played three quarterbacks against Fort Valley. Uh, Sap got in for a few plays also, and um, honestly, honestly, I like to see him get a little more, little more reps. But that goes against my first principles that we need to establish a a a, a starter, right? I don't want to play musical chairs for the entire year. I do agree with you, Brian, though, that we need separation 
and we haven't seen enough separation yet from from the two quarterbacks that are, are doing it right now. So I'm hopeful we'll begin start to see that separation starting with this game. Um, you know, I don't know what to expect this game. Um, I, I I think our defense travels. Um, I think you know special teams would travel, and so that theoretically supposed to keep you in games, right? We got good talent. We play good defense. We have good special teams. So I'm hoping that's the case and um, that we play up to our potential and we're in the game in the third or fourth quarter and see see where we go from there. With that mentality and that mindset, I think um, I would like to see McKay start just because of the experience thing, you know, junior and and so forth. And I, I just think he he's, deserve, he's deserving and earning it for now. I have no problem with if coach decides to um, pull him if he's not doing well or if he comes with a philosophy where he's going to alternate series or alternate quarters for this game. It wouldn't it wouldn't bother me, but but I do want to see us establish a number one guy and see some separation. And I just you know in order to do that, I just think that you know you have to limit reps to one of one or two guys, and they get all the reps, and and and, uh, and let's let's see let's see what the end result's gonna be. Yeah, and and I've heard you know I heard Coach Simmons talk about that on the press conference on the SWAC media call, and even he brought it up in the um in in the Willie Simmons live show that he wants one quarterback to stand out, and, and unfortunately that hasn't happened, and so. They're going to play this out. How long remains to be seen. And I don't know. What, I don't know if you really find an answer against an FBS opponent. Although, as, as we'll talk about later, I think this is the right opponent at the right time to find that out. Right? Because it's not like we're walking into uh, a, a team that has done great this season. A team that has an established history. Uh, you know, not like one of those Miami teams or even UCF from 2019. This is a totally different animal we're walking into. This is an animal that's walking in limping and wounded. And, yeah, he'll be protecting his own home base, but he may only have one life to live. Kind of like that video of that cat that was hanging in uh, in, uh, in, in in Miami by, by one arm and one paw, except let's hope that no one has an American flag to save him. You know what I mean? Because – that, that's about where the USF program is right now. So, <laughs> um, but back to the game, of course, uh, you mentioned Rashawn McKay came in in the second half. The score was tied at seven. Uh, McKay comes in in the second half, ends up going 12 for 16 for 176 yards, one touchdown on the opening drive of the third quarter. Engineers, an eight-play, 74-yard drive, hit Xavier Smith for a 32-yard touchdown, and FAMU takes the lead, which would be the lead for good. And then a little bit later, uh, Nadarius Fagan, who uh, I'm not sure if Fagan came back in the first half uh, because, remember, he was the player that got ejected for targeting against Jackson State. So I, I don't know if that was only a second-half suspension of the Jackson State game or whether that carried over into that first half. But needless to say, Fagan got a 45-yard fumble recovery, scoop and score. Rattlers go up 21-7. 
Uh, going to the fourth quarter, we get a field goal, then a bonnet touchdown. And so by that point in time, Rattlers are up 31-7. Uh, everyone's feeling, everyone feeling good, uh, relatively speaking. And, uh, you know, the FAMU, FAMU's defense, again, showed up well. Uh, Deontay Williams, uh, defensive end, 6-2 from Florida State, grad transfer, was named the SWAC Newcomer of the Week, had three tackles for loss, two sacks, a forced fumble. And uh, really, uh, just one more one more positive day for FAMU's defense. And, and Kelvin, I, I'll tell you what, that's the one encouraging thing right now. It's like we know what the one thing is. It's, it's like we got a strong defense. Special teams is playing well. Uh, we know we've got the receivers. We know we got the backs. We got a pretty good offensive line. I think all we need, I mean, we know it's the quarterback, and I'm going to say this, I think it's the quarterback and the play calling. The quarterback and the play calling has to be better. You know, and so those are two areas that I think are hurting FAMU right now, and I say hurting loosely because realistically we're a block field goal away from being 2-0. and Let's be real, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and I got people. It's funny. People in the swag, or uh, you know, other other shows, and other people that talk, they, they, they constantly remind me, and they say, Brian, it's not that bad. Remember, you guys really probably could be up two and zero. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. We really, we really probably should be two and zero. Um. So, uh, what, what are your takeaways on the second half and the defensive performance that we've seen thus far, Kelvin? Well, like you say, we, we know we can lay out where we can lay our head at, right? We, we know we can lay it on. They tackle well. Uh, I've seen some chatter on social media with some some discussions I had about, you know, the you know uh, receivers catching ball against the secondary. So, but but we only gave up like 207 yards or so the entire game. Uh, we almost doubled them up in terms of offensive production them being Fort Valley State. Um, and, and the team's going to make plays, right? You're not going to just totally sh- shut people down. You know, you keep a team for a whole game under 250 yards. That's that's good defense. All right? Yes. So Very, good. You, Very good. So now you get nitpicky. We, we're averaging two or three turnovers a game. I, I believe this is the second, second game in a row. We ain't played the two of them, but we, we, we recover fumbles and and, and now we've turned one back for a touchdown. So, so we're getting turnovers, we're getting sacks. They hitting all the buckets, man. You know, so uh, defensively, man, I think it's scary that they're this solid and in tune and playing as a unit already. And they still don't have all their pieces. There's still some guys that haven't played. Um, there's some guys who just, you know, now starting to play. So they're only going to get deeper and better. And I also would like to remind Rattler Nation and the haters that uh, <laughs> we're playing really good teams, right? Uh, Jackson State went on to put a pretty good whooping on um, Tennessee State uh, this weekend. And uh, we know what Fort Valley had done against Tuskegee. And uh, and I, right now, our defense is averaging giving up seven points a game. Right. So we we are really close. We are really close. I I, I know we want to. We, we long for those Billy Joe days, man, when we used to hang seven and eight on people, right? Yeah. That's hard to do. 
<laughs> I don't yeah. know how realistic that is. But but if we if we figure out this whole offensive thing, man, um we may be back in those Billy Joe days moving forward. It's interesting to hear Coach Simmons talk about the mental mm, the mental the, the mental side of what the delay or the time off may be for our players. Because he, he's talked about guys trying to play football instead of just playing football. And know that these guys have played for years. There's nobody on there who just started a couple years ago. But I've heard him say it on a couple different occasions now that that guys are probably pressing. And it's interesting to hear that because we don't we don't talk about that. I mean, I haven't heard many uh, many talking heads or many journalists or analysts or whoever. I don't hear that talked about enough that, you know, there, there might be this thing. That, that might be a legitimate thing as to why we're seeing some of the struggles from McKay. And, and he's not even talking to McKay. He's talking about uh, uh, running backs, not running in the right spots and the right reads and the holes and the offensive, you know. So he's not just putting it all on McKay. He's talking about that entire offensive unit. So, yes, even though they've had the spring practices and I, and we may have undervalued uh, this delay, these 600-something days off, um, you know, we, we – we, we don't really know because that this never. It, the last time there was a, del- a delay of a whole season was back in World War II. I mean, you know, we've had consecutive seasons since World War II, right? So, I mean, we haven't right. had a we haven't had a delay like this. So, uh, it, it is interesting to hear. And so, as we are going into this season, we're starting to see the offense pick up and find itself. And we've all said we all everyone will probably agree that it usually takes the offense the longest to catch up. And so that's what uh, that's a product of what we're seeing. And and so, a, as you said, you know, Rattler Nation, you know, we, we want success. We want excellence. We can't understand why it looks the way. But but let's let's consider this delay, this unprecedented two years off that it may actually have affected us. And we we are very fortunate that our defense and special teams is as good as it is, um, and to, to kind of keep us in these ball games and actually even get us a win. Uh, let us talk about the stats real quick before we go to break, Kelvin, because uh, you brought them up. We did hold Fort Valley State to 244 yards of total offense. Uh, 209 of that was passing. We held them to 35 net rushing yards. Say that again. We held them to 35 net rushing yards. That's 1.8 yards per rush. They threw the ball 42 times because that's really all they could do to move the ball on us. Um, You know, offensively, we put up nearly 402 yards. Uh, The running looked pretty solid again. Uh, 31 running attempts, 143 yards. Uh, I I, I said I, I really felt like this is a team that we probably need to run the ball 60-55% of the time. I mean, this time, the numbers, we passed the ball 39 times and ran the ball 31. That's not it, – It's that's almost 55-45 if I had to unofficially do the math. It's not quite 50-50, obviously. But I think – I would not be surprised to see us run more, 
against USF than pass. Because I think that's what this team needs. That's what Junior Maritovic, that's probably what McKay needs. They need more running to set up the pass versus I think what we want to do is we want to pass to set up the run. Does that make sense? Yes, and that's what I see, too, and I agree with you, man. Uh, we need to use the run to set up the pass and, uh, again, uh, utilize our tight ends and, and the middle field a bit more. And, Bill, I, I think it's important also, Brian, real quick, just the, the kind of runs we do, right? Zone read is fine, but I, I would like to see a play or two where, you know, you know, you got a hole to get to and somebody's got to get to make that block and, and you got to hit that hole and so forth and not just trying to, you know, hand the ball off and wait for, you know, a gap to open. We, we did go small with our running backs. Uh, Bishop Bonnet led to rushing nine attempts for 70 yards, uh, 67 net yards, excuse me, and a touchdown. DeAndre Francis, eight carries, 48 yards. Uh, Eddie Tillman, the third, uh, I don't think we saw him against Jackson State. Uh, seven carries, 24 yards, or excuse me, 19 net yards. Didn't see much from Terrell Jennings. Not sure if there was something there. There Didn't see much from Jennings. He only had one attempt in the contest. Uh, Xavier Smith, Xavier Smith uh, five catches, 73 yards and a score. Uh, Jamari Sharid, seven catches, 48 yards. Chad Hunter, two catches for 41 uh, Manigo, three catches for 32. A few other guys, of course, Kamari Young got the first touchdown of the season. He had two catches for 30 yards. Um, one of, before we go to break, real quick, note on defense, Antoine Collier from uh, the safety from UCF transfer, led the tackling with five tackles and one pass breakup, all solo. He had one tackle for loss as well. And then, uh, of course, as mentioned, Deontay Williams, with the uh, with outstanding performance, three tackles for loss, two sacks, one forced fumble. Um, so uh, that's uh, pretty much some of the individual statistics. Again, uh, another booming day by Chris Badul. Two punts, 49 each, both two touchbacks. So uh, nice performance there by Fadul. So uh, we're going to go to a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some of the other festivities that went on this past weekend including a host of rack, uh, excuse me a host of rattlers being inducted into the Florida A&M Sports Hall of Fame and then an honor well deserved finally happened on the uh, field for uh, the next FAMU football coach going into the Hall of Fame. We'll talk about that and more. You're watching the ONG Strike Zone on the Black College Sports Network. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay. Call Cuvay. 
Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. The human voice has always connected audiences with experiences. Major brands all across America have trusted Kevers Voice time and time again. Conversational, powerhouse, intelligent, and sincere. That's the voice you need for your creative marketing process. K-E-A-V-E-R-S-V-O-I-C-E dot com. Kevers Voice, Kevers Voice, KeversVoice.com. Always on, all the time. Kelvin Rozier today without our man Kofi Hemingway, uh, but he will be back with us next week for sure. Um, want to make mention of a special presentation that happened during half. Well, and I don't think it happened during halftime. As a matter of fact, I know it didn't happen during halftime. Um, it happened during the game um, when uh, the National Football Foundation, which is the organization that oversees the uh, College uh, Hall of Fame, the College Football Hall of Fame, they were actually able to have their what they call uh, on-campus salute, and so for every class, and of course this is the 2021 class. Um, actually, no mistake, it was the 2020 and 21 class because obviously with COVID and things like that, they didn't do the class of 2020. Uh, nope, that's the wrong image there. Um, <laughs> that's that's uh. There you see there, uh, Coach, uh, Coach uh, Hubbard, Coach Rudy Hubbard was honored at halftime, um, or not halftime. We got the, Roy, we got the wrong images there up. So let me, let me go back to my producer behind the scenes and we don't want to confuse people. Uh, the uh, Hall of Fame had their on-campus salutes presented by Fidelity Investments. Coach Hubbard was one of the first uh, stops that the uh, NFF did, and so uh, they recognized Coach Hubbard. Uh, there's a, uh, you know, you can see there's a. Well, we didn't have the picture, but trust me, it happened uh, when they did the the half the uh, presentation to Coach Hubbard, uh, who will be inducted uh, November. Oh, excuse me, December seventh, I think, is when they're going to do the actual 
inductees, and he will be the fourth FAMU football coach to go into the hall. Of course, behind most recently Joe Taylor, before him Billy Joe, and of course uh, Jake Gaither. They, that four, right? I do have that number, right, Kelvin? <laughs> that is four. Okay, yeah, I just <laughs> want to make sure because God forbid if I leave somebody out, I, I'll never hear the end of it, you know. Um, so that was that was the nice presentation that they had on the field during the game, and then of course another presentation that they had during the game was actually the recognition of the FAMU Sports Hall of Fame, which was actually held on Friday, the night before. And that class was a mix of the 2020 class and the class of 2021. So obviously because of the COVID pandemic, they combined the two classes, very similar to what the NFL Hall of Fame did, if you saw that. And so uh, that's where we have the uh, list of inductees that went into the Florida A&M Sports Hall of Fame. So we'll go through some of those names and some of those sports. Uh, we'll start with the class of 2020, Kelvin. Uh, it's, it's a list of athletes, supporters, contributors, uh, coaches, financial supporters, things of that nature. But the 2020 class, um, of course, the 2020 class starts with uh, Quinn Gray, quarterback from 98 to 2001. At the time when he finished, of course, he was the school's all-time uh, leader in pass attempts, completions, passing yards, and touchdown passes. He was twice the MEAC, uh, all MEAC honors, led the Rattlers to back-to-back -back titles in 2000, 2001, and a part of four NCAA playoff teams. So uh, now uh, Coach Gray, as we as we call him Coach Gray now, he's uh, coaching over at Alcorn State. Now, um, let's go through some of the other names, Kelvin, that kind of headline that class of 2020. So in terms of athlete, um, I thought, first of all, I thought the, the, the committee did a yeoman job, uh, both with the 2020 and the 2021 class. They covered pretty much all the sports. Um, they got the who's who, some of the greatest athletes they ever done on the orange and green. So I thought he did a fabulous job. Um, you know, this was one of, this is one of those times where I think, uh, most, these will be unanimous choices, first of all. So they, they got women's volleyball, uh, Adriana Costa Nova, uh, that was during our, um, t period, period of time where we were extremely dominant. When we were hosting the NCAAs, we were, of course, winning the MEAC. And we were actually defeating ranked um, um, Power 5 schools on the road, like Nebraska and so forth. And she was the centerpiece of that, or those 2003-2004 teams. Um, All-tournament three times, All-American, um, had a tournament win. Uh, we talked about the... The national teams we ranked, we beat Nebraska just sticks out because it was their tournament. It was in their gym, and uh, they did, they found out who family was that day. They they was number two in the nation if I remember correctly. Right. 
So uh, she was one of the selections. Our current golf coach now, uh, Coach Mike Rice, Preston. <laughs> uh, he was All-American and an awesome golfer um, at FAMU, and now he's back uh, leading the uh, Orange Green. And, uh, of course, took us we, – we, we got a National Minority Championship, and, of course, uh, we uh, won the conference in – our last year in the MEAC, and he took us to the NCAA. And um, D-Lon Turner, that was my, that was when I was in school. Uh, right, right. And uh, he was a very exciting player to watch. Uh, physical, but a get-up. He reminded me of Charles Barkley, personally. Uh, but it was can't-miss basketball, some of the best times of my life. Uh, definitely well-deserved Miami native. Uh Black College All-American, uh, Conference Player of the Year in 92, um, just just uh, finished at the time, career number two all-time score, uh, number three rebounding. So he was just, he was an offensive, he was a two-way player. He was an offensive and defensive player. And then, of course, uh, Dr. Ernst, uh, who's my per- personal dentist, all about smiles, <laughs> pre plug uh, but uh, Anna, Family Hobby Rattler uh, as a supporter has been supporting family athletics and and um, and promoting uh, the university for forever and of course is well deserving the Mingo. I, I think anybody who's been around FAMU uh, the last 40, 50 years know the Mingos, right? <laughs> so um, you know, just as supporters. So from athletes. To supporters, uh, I just thought it was a really awesome job with that class and uh, and well deserved. Now we also uh, on that list because this probably predates both of us and and our and our our time as Rattlers. But we also had uh, Mervin Jones uh, with from you know the basketball program, uh, three year letter winner, and he played from eighty two to eighty five. Uh, now, when he finished, he finished as the school's all-time leader in scoring, assists, free throws made, field goals made, uh, averaged 19, uh, 19.7 and three assists as a senior and 16 as a junior. Uh, he was named to the 85 Florida Citrus Bowl Red Lobster Classic All-American team back then. And then, of course, wrestling. Now, you know, obviously, FAMU does not have a wrestling program right now. But we did. I would love to see us go back to having a wrestling program, Kelvin. Just to just to throw that out there, you know, just to say, hey, you know, I'd love to see us be able to compete in a sport like that. But uh, the the twin brothers Harold uh, and Carol Roberts of Miami, they were stellar members of FAMU's men's wrestling teams of the late '60s, early '70s. Uh, each brother won two state titles between '68 and '70. And they were both state finalists in 68 and 69. Uh, so that was the class of 2020. Then we had the class of 2021, which was made up of uh, six male athletes, four female athletes, a coach, uh, and then selection as a financial contributor, a couple of financial contributors and a supporter. And uh, so I'll first mention the coach uh, who went in, and that was uh, 
the uh, head coach, uh, Dr. Darlene Moore, track and field, who uh, coached the women's track program from 2009 to 2019, where she led the Lady Rattlers uh, to three overall MEAC track and field titles and seven straight cross-country titles, earning 10 Conference of the Year honors. Uh, she was an HBCU Digest Female Coach of the Year in 2015, and she coached 31 individual championship performers. Uh, and, and she actually was actually twice the director of the track program, where she was coaching not just the women, but the men as well. So uh, we, we know A&T is getting a lot of love right now for their track program, and rightfully so. But uh, Dr. Moore was was doing it for FAMU Big, and uh, we, we hope that uh, now that we're in the SWAC, where there's some uh, competitive track and field programs over there, we, we hope to see our Rattlers competing uh, on a high level over there. Uh, how about some of the uh, how about some of the uh, female athletes, Kelvin, and I, and then I'll go and do some of the male uh, athletes. Okay, so two of the uh, female athletes are from Coach Moore's tenure as track coach. They were cross country uh, stars. Um, a lot of people may not know that we were actually ranked. Uh, a couple of times um, on the Coach Moore in women's cross country uh, within the, within our region. Um, so, and and two two uh, Kenyans, um, Cynthia Chaligo and Effie, uh, they both were part of the team 2012-2013 to 2015-2016. Um, they were the core of that. They were the leaders of that. They typically finished one, two, um, every meet they participated in, and that's including against um, uh, our, our regional peers uh, from from the uh, PWC side also. Uh, and and it, they didn't finish one and two. They was in the top five every time. So they, of course, are deserving. And they stayed here. And if I remember correctly, uh, uh, those, those ladies were like uh, nursing, uh, nursing majors or something like that. They stayed uh, during the summers and, and, um, and um, you know, matriculated through very quickly. So they were good academic students as well as athletes. And that's the one, one thing I want to say about Coach Moore also that I don't think she gets enough flowers for. So, of course, she was dominant and, and, and had dominant teams, women's teams specifically, but uh, also she, Typically, her teams had the highest GPA out of all the um, athletes and highest graduation rates. So, uh, you know, she she's not Dr. Moore for nothing. All right. <laughs> right. And then uh, the other um, inductees, females, were uh, softball players for, that were around 91 to 94. Marcelina Smith and uh, Cynthia Andrews, um, Detroit uh, natives, and um, they had been high school teammates, and they uh, helped the base, the softball team to titles from 92 to 94. Um, again, dominant years. Uh, Smith was a catcher, 3.53 average, and um, led the Division One 
with 19 home runs. Andrews was a pitcher, won 38 career games, uh, 200, almost 300 strikeouts for a career, um, and, and winning 20 games in the circle in 1994 championship year. So, again, very deserving athletes. And th- these athletes are from two different decades, but more, the more modern era of uh, family athletics. But I thought the committee did a good job of balancing that out there, you know, they, and getting folks from between the two classes from different eras also. Yeah, definitely. How cool is that, that, uh, you know, just the fact that you had uh, a pitcher and a catcher. I mean, you know, I just – when you see one and you, you just go ahead and bring them both. I mean, you talk about a dynamic duo coming in. I mean, that's kind of how you want to do it. You know, if you had your if you had your druthers, you definitely want to try to bring in. Uh, nobody's going to know your pitcher better than the catcher. And, you know, especially if uh, if both of them are, are hitting and playing that well, then uh, that was a that was a great find. Um, and, and of course, we were one of the dominant. Well, we, we held our own in softball. We were. Uh, I believe the first program to win a MEAC title, and so as you as you pointed out, uh, winning three straight titles with those ladies from '92, three and four, uh, those were those years I was on the yard. So I mean, those were good years for the softball program. Uh, moving over to the male athletes, um, the the non football athlete uh, who got inducted because it was heavy on the football side for the men in 2021, Dr. Ephraim Riggins. Uh, played baseball for FAMU from 1971 to 75. Um, an honors graduate of the FAMU School of Pharmacy. Um, p- pitched for the Rattlers. Had a record of 21-6 and six with 10 saves in relief. Finishing with a 2.30 earned run average lifetime. Voted the team's top freshman in 1972. A two-time most outstanding pitcher in the FAMU Spring Carnival of 1974 and 1975. Uh, he's also an active alumni association member and the president of the Rattler Baseball Alumni Association. Uh, I had a chance to meet a couple of Rattler alums this summer at the MVP. Uh, so that was a, that was a, that was a tremendous honor. So uh, maybe one day I'll, I'll get an opportunity to uh, meet Mr. Riggins and, and uh, continue to to add to the list of uh, Rattler baseball alums uh, that I get the pleasure of meeting through uh, through this thing we call uh, the OG Strike Zone. Now for the men, uh, the male athletes, other male athletes were all from the football field. Uh, they start back in. Uh, let me see. I'm gonna do, try to do it in chronological order here. And, uh, so I'll start with the oldest, which was uh, Merlin Jones, who played football from 1982. The 1985, uh, the twin brother of 2020 Hall of Fame class member Mervin Jones. Uh, he was a Merlin was a three year starter on the Rattler defense, uh, a preseason Street and Smith All American selection. He actually was drafted by the New Orleans Saints, where he played three seasons as a linebacker and defensive end. Then moving into the 80, the late 80s. Uh, 1988 to 1990, Amir Rasul, a former FAMU high star athlete, uh, became a feature back for the Rattlers as a junior and senior, rushing for 940 yards and 11 touchdowns as a junior, over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns as a senior, 
He was a two-time All-MEAC selection, was the Offensive Player of the Year, and had All-American honors in 1990. Uh, had some professional stints with Buffalo, Miami, as well as uh, Ohio of the USFL. Then there was Jamie Nails, the two-time All-American left tackle of uh, the, the early Billy Joe era years. Uh, three-time All-MEAC performer, anchor of back-to-back -back championships in 95 and 96. Was drafted in 97 by the Buffalo Bills. Played several seasons with the Miami Dolphins. And then uh, moving on into the next decade, Wesley Taylor from 2004 to 2007. Uh, one of the school's all-time great special teams performers. Uh, led the Rattlers in punting three years in a row between 05 and 07. Shattered a single-season record with a 45.9 average, which was tops in Division One FCS, earning All-American honors. Any idea what is Chris Fadul's average right now, in a, his highest average in a season? Uh, any ideas, Kelvin, off the top of your head? Something I want to say... I want to say 46, but I'm guessing. Okay. Okay. So he may have may have passed Taylor's 45-9. Um, his performance in the 2006 Florida Classic will forever be remembered by his 43-yard field goal that forced overtime, completing an improbable comeback for the Rattlers, who trailed 17-0 at one point in that game. Taylor also clinched a victory with a 25-yarder. I do remember that. I do remember that. And then, of course, the All-American return specialist, Leroy Van, who played from 06 to 09. Uh, one of, I mean, now he played for Joe Taylor, uh, in, in which uh, Van became a two-time All-American, shattered numerous school, conference, and even some NCAA marks in punt and kickoff returns. He actually still holds the NCAA record for career combined kick returns for touchdowns. Again, that's career combined kick returns for touchdowns. That's 11 total, eight punt returns, three kickoff returns. That mark is still standing. It hasn't been broken. I think it's been tied, but it has not been broken. He had the high mark for punt returns for touchdowns in a season, which was five in 2009 and the career mark for punt return yards, over 1,000 yards on 53 runbacks. He is one of six players all-time in NCAA history to record over 1,000 career yards in both punt returns and kickoff returns. So Leroy Van, one of the uh, one of the great ones. So, um, oh, also, I guess I, I don't want to I don't want to leave out. Uh, I know we're rushed to get the break. But want to make mention of the financial contributors that were inducted. Uh, Ray Matthews Sr., uh, who uh, is a native of Tampa, uh, a distinguished alumnus of FAMU, of course. Uh, he's contributed uh, a lot of money to the athletic program. Uh, and uh, Mr. Selvin Cobb, uh, who's also been a, a longtime supporter of the athletics program. Uh, he's a like he's a longtime Rattler booster. Serves on the boosters board, and uh, then the supporter who was inducted was uh, Mrs. Virginia Pinkney, who was a graduate of FAMU in elementary education. Served as a volunteer in athletics and athletic related functions for nearly twenty years. Uh, 
Ms. Pinckney, a retired educator, began volunteering first for the Rattler Booster Office before moving over to the ticket office, uh, working as much as four days a week. They might have needed Ms. Pinckney this past weekend, from what I hear, Kelvin. That's just <laughs> something I heard. All right, we're going to go to a break. Again, congratulations to all the Rattlers. And shout out to uh, our good friend Alvin Hollins for all the work he did and putting all that information together for us. And uh, that information is out there. Uh, I, I think if it's not on the, it should be on the FAMUathletics.com website. should be there somewhere. If not, we'll make sure to post it up on our Facebook page so that you can uh, read the full bios on those Rattlers. All right, we got to catch up on some breaks. And uh, so you're listening to the ONG Strike Zone, Brian and Kelvin tonight. We'll be back right after these words. You're hungry for authentic Caribbean food like jerk, chicken, oxtail, red snapper, shrimp, tofu, and rasta pasta? Well, find your way over to Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Pika in downtown Atlanta. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, open daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday, we're open till 4 a.m. Come to Mango's and put some spice in your life. Oh, we've got a Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock in downtown Atlanta. For more info or directions, call 404-698-3992 or log on to mangoscaribbeanrestaurant.com. For instant coupons, text M-A-N-G-O-S to 313131. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, authentic Caribbean cuisine. Shop Melvin Online Women's Boutique to spice up your closet with trendy, unique looks. We have fashionable and chic looks at very affordable prices. Melvin Boutique offers free shipping all year long on all orders. Shop online at www.melvinboutique.com. That's www.melvinboutique.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Shop Melvin Online Women's Boutique. Sugar Chateau Desserts is a specialty bakery located in the Charlotte, North Carolina metro area. We will create delicious and one-of-a-kind treats for any occasion. Sugar Chateau is currently shipping cakes in a jar, offering a variety of different flavors in a single-serve container that can help you celebrate in accordance with social distancing. Place your orders today by calling 803-526-7895 or visiting SugarChateauDesserts.com. All right, welcome back to the ONG Strike Zone. Brian Fulford, Kelvin Rozier here. And uh, coming up here uh, at the top of the next hour we're going to be joined by nathan bond from the daily stampede they cover usf football or usf athletics and so nathan's gonna take us uh over to the you know to the uf side usf side of things and give us some info on the bulls many people uh you're not too familiar with them so hopefully this will will shed a little insight on USF and, and find out uh, how realistic are 
are our chances and then maybe get a feel for how USF views these things. As much as, as much as we talk about things that we need to take care of, trust me, listening to some of their commentary and their podcast and even reading some of their stories, they got just as much stuff they're trying to fix going into this game. So it's a real interesting contest on both sides of the ball, no doubt. But uh, we do want to make mention that our uh, our Rattler, Lady Rattlers tennis team is uh, opening up their season uh, this weekend, actually defending a title, Kelvin. Uh, they're actually defending their 2019 HBCU National Tennis Championship. Uh, now, that is a, a tournament that uh, is hosted by the South Fulton, um, or excuse me, since South Fulton, Georgia, um, which I believe is right outside of Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but the uh, this is the 20th annual HBCU National Tennis Championships. Uh, and so it brings together uh, tennis programs from all the conferences, the MEAC, SWAC, CIAA, SIC, the GCAC, OVC. I, obviously now there's more HBCUs and more conferences so it's a, it's a good mix of programs. And uh, the 2020 tournament did not happen, obviously, due to, to COVID and the pandemic. So in essence, FAMU is the defending women's champions. Uh, we won that championship. Uh, you know, another MEAC school won the, the, the men's side. But uh, for FAMU, we had uh, two ladies. They have a A, B, and a C uh, champion. And uh, FAMU took home the the B and the C championship on the uh, individual uh, single side of things back in 2019. Um, uh, two Rattlers who I believe are still on the roster, Eileen uh, yeah. and Ariel. Eileen, I, I hope I'm saying this right. It's uh, Hubo. I, I hope I'm saying that right. If I'm saying it wrong, I've, I've said it to myself five different ways, so I'm you know, hopefully I got it right. She's a grad student right now from Argentina. And then uh, we've also got, um, let me make sure I, I, I say this right. It's uh, Ariel Neely, who was the the champ on the seaside. And uh, Ariel is a senior from Buffalo, New York. So, you know, those ladies were, were upperclassmen, definitely. Uh, and, and, you know, probably the good thing, they got an extra year. And so our tennis program, Kelvin, we, you know, we we played last year uh, in 2020. We made it advance to the finals, and then we kind of ran into a buzzsaw of South Carolina State, who had a real strong program last year. Uh, what do we? What do you know? What do we? What do you recall about our tennis program from a year ago? And and uh, your your any thoughts on their uh, their trip right now out to uh, Atlanta? Well, I, I like their I like their chances. Um, we have a very experienced team, as you mentioned, um, the two ladies you mentioned. But we have four graduate students on our, on the team, plus a senior, senior and a junior. So this team is experienced. They've been with the program most of them for a while. They've had some success. They've been competitive, uh, particularly with uh, HBCU competition. So. Um, I'm looking forward to them having a good showing and possibly bringing the championships on again. 
Um, and by the way, so you did the South Carolina State. Uh, South Carolina State has won so many uh, men's and women's um, uh, MEAC championships. Uh, they, they've, they've been a dynasty. They've kept us uh, from winning on both sides several years, almost like a decade. And they, they recruit internationally, right? When you see mm-hmm. their team, you can't tell they're HBCU. <laughs> okay, okay, I got you. I know, I know what you mean, right? Um, Coach uh, Rochelle Houston, she was on the uh, Willie Simmons Live show this past Monday. So if you had a chance to watch, you got a chance to meet uh, Coach Nikki as she is uh, affectionately called. Um, she's been with the program since 2015 um, and uh, been the head coach since 2017. Uh, she is a uh, Rattler. She's an alum. Um, so, you know, she finally, you know, she got a chance to come home and, and lead this program. And and uh, it, it's awesome that they're actually getting a chance to go. This is, you know, the more events like this HBCU National Tennis Championship, uh, it's a great opportunity. We talk about trying to create more events like this where you can have an invitational with schools and you know you can have schools from Xavier who's an NAIA school to FAMU an FCS division one school uh it doesn't matter in a sport like tennis to be honest with you you know it's like the best players play (laughs) and so there's plenty of opportunities there and I think that kind of comes out in a sport like tennis so uh the program is let's see if you want more information go to hbcutennis.com that's hbcutennis.com, and you can find out more information. Follow along. Uh, the action starts Thursday with the, uh, let's see, the draws will probably be announced because I know they're doing the coaches' meetings today. And then I think if I read correctly, the the competition starts uh, tomorrow, Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, and all weekend. But, again, follow hbcutennis.com for more information on the HBCU National Tennis Championships. And we'll make sure to be uh, tweeting out or retweeting anything we see from uh, our Rattler uh, tennis program, uh, especially on Twitter. So make sure you're following them. You should be following all of our sports, to be honest with you. I don't know, if you're not, I don't know why you're not. Make sure you're following ONG Strike Zone, though, because when you don't follow them, you can follow us, and we'll just do the retweets for you. How about that? All right, we're going to take a break, <laughs> come back to the start of the second hour, talk to Nathan Bond from the Daily Stampede of SB Nation, and find out what's going on with the USF Bulls as they get ready to do Battle with the Rattlers this weekend in Tampa. You're watching and listening to the ONG Strike Zone. We'll be back right after these words. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From a national memorial for peace and justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences 
which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay. Call Cuvay. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. The human voice has always connected audiences with experiences. Major brands all across America have trusted Kevers Voice time and time again. Conversational, powerhouse, intelligent, and sincere. That's the voice you need for your creative marketing process. K-E-A-V-E-R-S-V-O-I-C-E dot com. Kevers Voice, Kevers Voice, Kevers Voice dot com. Always on, all the time. Are you hungry for authentic Caribbean food? Like jerk, chicken, oxtail, red snapper, shrimp, tofu, and rasta pasta? Well, find your way over to Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock. In downtown Atlanta. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant. Open daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday, we're open till 4 a.m. Come to Mango's and put some spice in your life. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock. In downtown Atlanta. For more info or directions, call 404-698-3992. Or log on to mangoscaribbeanrestaurant.com. For instant coupons, text M-A-N-G-O-S to 313131. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant. Authentic Caribbean cuisine. All right, welcome back to the ONG Strike Zone. Brian Fulford, Kelvin Rozier, and... uh, Hour number two, FAMU is getting ready to take on the USF Bulls. And joining us to talk about the USF Bulls, a man who covers the Bulls 24-7, 365, Nathan Bond of the Daily Stampede of SB Nation. Nathan, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing this evening? 
You know what? I'm, I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm excited uh, to be on the show. I appreciate the invite. Uh, uh, it's uh, a pleasure. I'm excited. You know, sometimes, you know, covering USF over the last couple of years has been tough, to say the least. So it's, uh, you know, it's nice to still talk some football. Yeah, most definitely. I, I, I imagine when uh, – I got to imagine when you guys looked at the schedule, when you looked at the schedule, uh, you, you probably never thought in your wildest dreams that – FAMU would be coming in with a one-and-one record, um, uh, any kind of record, better than uh, USF. But actually, you know, the Rattlers come in one-and-one. USF sitting at 0-2 right now. And uh, I I think the overall thing, we were kind of talking about it earlier, both teams have something that they need to work on in order to, you know, just improve their season and keep the fans happy. Uh, give Give us your take on what uh, what you have seen from USF thus far in these first two weeks of the season? Uh, well, uh, week one was not kind uh, to the Bulls. Uh, NC State uh, completely demolished them. Uh, and, you know, against Florida this past weekend, they were able to score points. So that's improvement. Uh, you know, it's the small things. You got you to gotta take pleasure in the, in the small wins when you're trying to rebuild the program from the ground up. And... Uh, that's that's the small thing you, you you know we do a film room at the Daily Stampede and you can see some of the plays that you know Florida was just a little bit better at than USF and you know it, against you know maybe a lesser opponent whoever it may be you know those plays may hit uh, so it's those little things the proof of concepts there and the, the offensive scheme it's now down to execution at this point um you know, you talked about being in a rebuild mode. Is that uh, – obviously, this is the second year under head coach Jeff Scott. Uh, and, and under his tenure, he, there's only been one win thus far. Obviously, he starting, he's starting his career in a pandemic. So that can't be easy for starters. That cannot be easy. But mm-hmm. you did mention a rebuild. Is that what USF is in the middle of right now, a, a, a true rebuild as you see it? Yeah, you know, recruiting really fell off under former head coach Charlie Strong for, I mean, plenty of reasons. And it just – and then you throw in a pandemic, and Jeff Scott was really behind the eight ball uh, trying to get the program back in order. But it seems like he's started to fix the culture. Um, you know, losing does funny things to people. We, we've seen that at USF over the last few years. Uh, it's been over a year since USF has actually won a football game. Not you know, FBS, just any football game whatsoever. Uh, and I think that they really have Saturday circled as uh, let's just you know get this, get a win, just get something positive going in the right direction. And uh, they know, you know, eight eight FBS schools have been upset already this year by FCS schools. Uh, most recently, Florida State with Jacksonville State this past weekend. So they're not taking FAMU lightly. I mean, FAMU, you know. You, you guys know last year you canceled season, but you're coming off a nine and two year in 2019. And with where USF is now, there's no easy win. So it, they, they have to take that mentality that, uh, and I think they have that, the, that it's going to be a fight, you know, for four quarters. It's funny, Calvin. See, he was saying they haven't won in nearly two years either. So, see, I'm telling you, the similarities <laughs> that both teams are dealing with, it's almost like looking at the mirror. Looking in the mirror. Anyway, I, mean, I, would, I would really, I'd really take your nine wins in 2019 over what happened in 2019. But that's neither here nor there. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> honesty, honesty. So right. uh, Nathan, um, uh, 
one of my initial thoughts about this game, um, and anytime you have an LCS and LDS matchup, is um, um, generally the differences in within the depth of the team. Um, both teams generally have good skill position. I would say at the LBS level, the line play is a little bit stronger um, because of nutrition, training table, and so forth. But when, when you start seeing separation, traditionally, it's as the game goes on, it's the special team. And um, when you start going into the second and third unit. Um, has uh, Coach Scott got the USF Bulls? Because FAMU has pretty good depth, actually, this year. This is in, in multiple locations. They also have a lot of FC, FBS transfers. So I don't anticipate them being intimidated by the environment. And, and we have won a lot of games. So I, I feel like, you know, we'll we'll show up, you know, we'll just have to see from there. But I'm interested, uh, you know, I feel like you all come in hungry and mad and, and know this is an opportunity that you need to take care of. And and then you mentioned Florida State, Jacksonville, uh, and uh, Washington and uh, Montana State, some of the FCS schools this year, this season has upset. Mm-hmm. So uh, we so, doggone, I was hoping we was going to sneak up on you, but I don't anticipate that's going to be the case. But uh, just no, talk about your depth. I don't think so. In this team. <laughs> you know, o- offensive line depth is uh, to be desired. I mean, they're, they're, they've gotten bigger over uh, the last year and a half or so. Uh, but I, I do worry, you know, if there's an injury along the, the starting five, your, your guess is as good as mine at who's coming in, what their productivity level is going to be. There's – there's a starting five, and then there's a pretty steep drop off at, uh, on on the twos. So it's you got to stay healthy a, a, along the trenches. And you, you guys can see, you know, the first two weeks against you know power five conference level teams, the offensive line got pushed around quite a bit. I I don't expect that to happen as much, but USF has struggled over the last couple of years creating push along the trenches offensively, and then defensively. They're still pretty small. Uh, they, they've kind of run a you know a hybrid three three five. Uh, they'll sometimes go four down linemen, but the size still isn't there. I think their biggest defensive tackles like three hundred and one pounds sopping wet. So it's you can get push. Uh, it's USF's uh, lacked in creating havoc plays. Those tackles for loss, the the sacks, the, the, those numbers aren't there. Uh, so. It can be had to get some chunk plays. Um, fortunately for FAMU, uh, you know, you're not going – you know, USF's played FAMU three times. Uh, luckily, you're not going up against Andre Hall like in 2005, who was just an all-world running back, NFL player. Right. And then in 2011, B.J. Daniels uh, had a just a school record night. Uh, Jarrell Scott had three touchdowns. And then in 2015, right. you guys were the first – uh, victims of Quentin Flowers uh, during the resurgence. Right. Those guys are not walking in through that door. There's no one that can. There's no one on this roster right now that can do what we they did not. to you guys. We hope, no, we hope not. <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to see anyone hurtling uh, anybody like Darrell Scott did in 2011 or uh, PJ Daniels throwing a guy off in the end zone and and, and throwing a bomb. I don't. I don't think you're going to see that. Um, so. You know, that's that's got to be a, a pro for you guys that maybe there's a upset brewing. Okay. Uh, you 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 mentioned that uh, that that upset that uh, 
and those eight FCS wins and, and just keeping everybody awake. Yeah, I, I definitely thought at the beginning of the year, yeah, we, we might be able to sneak up on USF, but that but this, I got to feel like everybody is on pins and needles. I mean, there's got to be messages floating all over USF uh, locker rooms saying, don't be like Florida State. I mean, you know, something like that. What, what, what have you heard from Coach Scott? Uh, obviously, he's going coaches are going to talk about their guys and what they need to do and controlling ourselves and but I mean, behind the scenes, uh, is there a is there an, an awareness, uh, more awareness than maybe there probably might have been had Florida State's mishap happened? Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, publicly, you know, he was asked uh, uh, at his press conference on Tuesday about, uh, do you have to put Jacksonville State on the bulletin board? And he's like, we're zero and two. Like, we we can't take anyone lightly. And I mean, I think that's just the theme across the program in general is you guys are 0-2, you're 1-10 in, in your last 11 games, you haven't beaten anyone in over a year. There's enough reason to get up for this game other than not being the ninth team to lose to an FCS school. Yeah, yeah. Um, the two-quarterback system, I mean, obviously FAMU is dealing with its own quarterback uh, issues. We're trying to find a guy. And it, it looks like USF is trying to find a guy, too. You've got uh, Cade Fortin, Fortin, who started the last two games. But then in each game, he's been relieved by Timmy McClain, uh, a, a true freshman who uh, I'm, uh, in all honesty, I'm familiar with because I, I live in the uh, Seminole County area. So I've seen what mm -hmm. he's done at Sanford Seminole High School the last couple of years. Uh, leading them to a state title his senior year. What's going on with the quarterback? How do you see this playing out? Is is this the game where maybe you or the coaches, uh, people are hoping that, hey, we can finally settle on our guy after this game? Yeah, you know, leading up into the season, uh, Jeff Scott, he said, we want to have a QB1 by the start of the season. And then six drives in against NC State, that changed. Uh, Kate Fortin was ineffective. He, I think he was just a little jacked up. It was his first start in uh, a little over a year and a half. Um, he's jacked up, missing throws. Timmy Plank comes in, uh, does what Timmy does. I mean, he did it in high school. You, you know, Brian, he, he was an electric playmaker in high school and was able to give the Bulls a, some sort of spark uh, at NC State, but he made freshman mistakes through a couple of uh, ill-advised interceptions in, in the red zone. Uh, and then last week versus Florida, uh, it seemed like the plan was, okay, you're getting the first half, Timmy. You're not getting in until the second half at the earliest. I would love to see them do a little bit more two-quarterback system, like a true two-quarterback system, like Florida's doing right now with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, too. Uh, some great success. I, Timmy, if there was a guy who would pull off an Andre Hall type of uh, you know, Quentin Flowers type of game, it's Timmy McClain. He's that electric. I think he's going to be one of the – when everything's said and done, I think he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks to come through USF. He's absolutely electric, and I want to see him get more involved uh, earlier when the game's not out of hand. Uh, I want to see what he can do against the ones. We, we've seen what he's able to do against, you know, when, when they're trailing and, and the, the twos and threes are in for the other team. Let's see him against some starters. I, I, I want to see that. What do you got, Kelvin? Nathan, um, I have a question uh, that, that's a little bit not about this particular game, but I think I saw somewhere that uh, USF is uh, uh, mentioning about doing their own campus stadium. Uh, is yep. that correct? And, and what can you tell us about that? 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I'm, it was last week, uh, last Wednesday, uh, USF finally broke ground on their indoor performance facility. Uh, you know, being in Florida, it rains a lot. I don't know if you guys have uh, know this about Florida, but it rains a lot during the summer. Uh, a lot of lightning in the area. So, you know, the, the team will get pulled off and, you know, they'll have to wait in, the, in the, the weight room for an hour before they can go back out. Or sometimes they'll just have to scrap the practice completely. So being able to have that indoor performance center is going to help them tremendously. Uh, it's going to help recruits. They Recruits love shiny new things. It's going to help that. Uh, and then, uh, you know, State Representative Will Weatherford, who's uh, the chairman of uh, the Board of Trustees at USF, basically boldly claimed we're going to have a, an on-campus stadium at USF. And from what I'm hearing, uh, they're hoping to have butts and seats at a new stadium in 2025-2026. I'll believe it when I see it at this point. I mean, it took, it took four and a half years for USF to raise $22 million for the Performance Center. Where they're getting $250 million at minimum for an uh, on-campus stadium, your guess is as good as mine. I, I don't see it. I, you know, I don't see it happening. The USF has uh, some deep pockets, but uh, getting into those deep pockets has always been a struggle. Do you, do they have a master plan? Do they have it indicated? Do they have a location on campus uh, where they're targeting? Nothing. Nothing official. Um, I've heard uh, through the grapevine. It's uh, kind of where. Uh, the track track stadium is they're gonna kind of retrofit or at least kind of clear that out. Um, the the one stipulation that I've heard multiple times is they cannot have a track around the football stadium. It just doesn't look great. So they're gonna have to find a new home for the track track stadium as well. Uh, so that's that's a whole other thing um, and completely. So and. USF is breaking ground on the performance center, so they're they're kind of tied to that general area of campus. Like you can't have the uh, you know USF's campus is pretty big. You can't have the stadium right. you know two miles away where your players are actually going to get on buses. The equipment staff's going to get on buses to trek down to the stadium. It just doesn't doesn't work. It doesn't flow. It just doesn't seem practical. So you're kind of locked into that north northeast corner of campus. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, that that part we we FAMU and UCF or USF are part of a three year deal. This uh, being the first of three, twenty twenty three. Uh, and I heard on uh, one, one the, the podcast uh, that that's on the uh, Daily Stampede, they were mentioning that that twenty twenty three game is the year bef- uh, the week before Alabama, which is scheduled uh, in twenty twenty three. Yeah, trap game definitely. <laughs> and then. Uh, <laughs> 2027, uh, that might be the game. That might be the only, you know, if, if the five-year plan goes to, uh, comes tr- comes true, that might be the game where we are playing on USF's campus in 2027. So we'll we'll circle that one and see how both programs are looking uh, six years down the road. But um, back to this game, and, and it's going to be at Raymond James Stadium. Good crowd for the home opener against Florida, uh, 64,000. I don't, I saw pictures and jokingly probably said, Hey, that's probably a home road game for a USF. I, I don't know. Oh yeah. It was, it was about 70, 30 Florida fans. And, uh, I, I know USF has cheap season tickets and I know a lot of Florida fans 
uh, bought season tickets for that game because you can get seats for 150 bucks and you have a ticket to the Florida game as well. So that makes a lot of sense uh, in that respect that, you know, that's just cost efficient at that point. Um, and then they can sell off the rest and kind of make that money back. So it's not, uh, it wasn't a terrible idea, you know, it helped USF juice up their season ticket numbers. Um, I would probably say that there was probably 45,000 at the stadium. Um, it was, uh, it was a weird day. It was rainy on and off. Um, and you know, USF coming off that 45 to nothing beat down at the hands of NC state to open the season really tempered some, uh, excitement for the program to say the least. So with everything happening, obviously, here comes Florida A&M. The Marching 100 is scheduled to come. Uh, FAMU has a good good alumni base in Tampa. Uh, what, what type of crowd? I mean, how, what's the, what is USF? Uh, what is the fan base? What, what's the excitement for this game? Because, I, I, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear from your perspective what the view is of, hey, we're playing an FCS team. This is a game we should win. It's Florida A&M. What's the vibe like? What do you think the crowd numbers will be like? Um, you know, I, I, we like to do a little, you know, announced and actual uh, kind of attendance. I'd say announced probably around 50, 55. Actual, uh, depending on the weather, probably 30. Um, you know, and people will leave after halftime because – Everyone goes to, to the games to watch the Marching 100. We, we all we all know that. I'm sitting in the press box. I don't leave. I don't leave uh, the press box. You know, uh, to to you know go to the bathroom or eat some food. I, I watch them. I'll actually even go down to the main concourse. So I really fully hear them. Uh, it's always. It, I mean, yeah. you, you don't you don't miss that, right? That that's just that's right. part of the pageantry of college football, especially the HBCUs that are so prevalent uh, in Florida. I, I don't want to mention the, the, you know, the team in Daytona, but I mean, they've got an okay band too. Uh, yeah. But yeah. it's, those are, those are the reasons you come to a, a game like this, uh, especially when, you know, you haven't won in over a year. You really hope that, uh, you know, USF pulls out this one. And if not, you got to see a really good marching band. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the, the tough part is I, I've struggled and uh, our, our third member of our crew, uh, Kofi, uh, couldn't be here. He gave me his prediction, which I'll share later on uh, in the show. But what's your prediction for for this game? And, and I know that's got to be a hard because I, I feel like it's a hard question on this side to try to answer. But from your perspective, what's your predicted score for this game? Oh, man, I, I do. I do think USF wins. I, I, I truly do. Just based off what they were able to do offensively against Florida's defense when the ones were in there uh, gives you a little bit of hope that, uh, you know, I think you, you guys can both agree. Uh, FAMU's defensive line is nothing like Florida's defensive line. And they've got talent across the board at Florida that are going to go to the NFL first round picks. Zach Carter, they've got uh, the big uh, the big guy who's like 6'2", 400 pounds uh, from Armwood. Uh, you know, FAMU doesn't have that. I, I think USF can create enough push, get the running game going. I think Cade and Timmy can can do enough. I don't think it's go I, 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 it's not going to be a blowout. I think you guys will – there's a good chance. So FAMU scored 23 total points in the three games. There's a good chance you hit that in this game. So 30 – 38-23, I think, is a fair assessment. I think USF wins, but it's, uh, you know, closer 
than uh, you know some people are comfortable with, but it's still a win. Uh, but you know USF fans will still complain about how they didn't blow out a FCS school, uh, not realizing that FAMU went nine and two in 2019, their their last season, and uh, just absolutely stomped uh, Fort Valley uh, State last week. So uh, I get it. And, yeah. uh, and and the last question for you. FAMU shocks the world if USF does this. Turns the ball over and can't convert third downs. I mean, that that's it. Uh, USF's been terrible on third downs uh, for the last two years. I think they're converting about 28% this year, and that's right around what they were in 2020. If they can't keep keep the, the FAMU defense on the field to wear them down, then, you know, that third, fourth quarter, you know, Things get tight on the on the USF sideline if if it, it, it continues to stay close and uh, you know Cade and, and Timmy are, are throwing interceptions or fumbling or whatever. Uh, that's that's how FAMU pulls the upset and uh, just a general rule I think going forward uh, for any FBS schools if you're up by three with six seconds left in the game maybe have like three or four safeties at the end zone just just, just in case. Wow, just, just, just in case. And also, uh, if you see the ball going up, there's no time left. Just tackle the guy. So Thank it's a 15 you. yard penalty. Just, I mean, what are they gonna do? 15 yard penalty, and now they gotta right. now that there's no time left, and you gotta kick a field goal to send it into overtime. Yeah, good luck, FCS kicker. Have have that pressure. Yeah, uh, great. Great, great point. Uh, great Nathan, we, <laughs> perfect. Well said. Well, Nathan, we we appreciate you uh, coming on, uh, talking about USF. Uh, look, we I normally say good luck to you guys this week, but good <laughs> luck to you guys next week and the weeks going forward and the rest of the season. Amen, and, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And it'll be interesting Absolutely. to see how this plays out. So, again, uh, Nathan Bond, the Daily Stampede, part of SB Nation, covering everything USF. Uh, Nathan, uh, daily speed, uh, the dailystampede.com, correct? Yes, sir. Daily, dailystampede.com. Uh, go check out the coverage if you want to see what's going on with the guys that the Rattlers are going to be playing this upcoming weekend. And I promise you, you it, it, there it, it'll look like, hey, a lot of the things Nathan said, as this stuff uh, Kelvin and I have been talking about, sound like looking in a mirror, just on different <laughs> levels. So. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, thanks again for coming on, Nathan. Have a good night. Good luck to you guys the rest of the year, all right? I appreciate it. Thank you both for having me on. It was a pleasure. All right. We're going right. to take Thank a you. break, come back with a little bit more. You're watching the ONG Strike Zone. We'll be back right after these words. Shop Melvin Online Women's Boutique to spice up your closet with trendy, unique looks. We have fashionable and chic looks at very affordable prices. Melvin Boutique offers free shipping all year long on all orders. Shop online at www.melvetboutique.com. That's www.melvetboutique.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Shop Melvin Online Women's Boutique. Sugar Chateau Desserts is a specialty bakery located in the Charlotte, North Carolina metro area. We will create delicious and one-of-a-kind treats for any occasion. Sugar Chateau is currently shipping cakes in a jar, offering a variety of different flavors in a single-serve container that can help you celebrate in accordance with social distancing. 
Place your orders today by calling 803-526-7895 or visiting SugarChateauDesserts.com. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay, call Cuvay. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCU Pride Joy on Facebook and Twitter. The human voice has always connected audiences with experiences. Major brands all across America have trusted Kever's voice time and time again. Conversational, powerhouse, intelligent, and sincere. That's the voice you need for your creative marketing process. K-E-A-V-E-R-S-V-O-I-C-E dot com. Kever's voice, Kever's voice, Kever's voice dot com. Always on, all the time. Are you hungry for authentic Caribbean food like jerk chicken, oxtail, red snapper, shrimp, tofu, and rasta pasta? Well, find your way over to Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock in downtown Atlanta. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, open daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday, we're open till 4 a.m. Come to Mango's and put some spice in your life. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock in downtown Atlanta. For more info or directions, call 404-698-3992 or log on to mangoscaribbeanrestaurant.com. For instant coupons, text M-A-N-G-O-S to 313131. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, authentic Caribbean cuisine. Tell them I'm hungry. 
right, welcome back to the ONG Strike Zone. Brian and Kelvin here. And again, want to thank Nathan Bond of the Daily Stampede, uh, SB Nation, uh, for for his for taking time to talk to us uh, about the USF. And I don't know, I don't know, Kelvin, I don't know if I feel better or we're still kind of nervous about my predictive score. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get the predictions a little bit later. Let's uh, let's turn our attention to our outstanding volleyball program. Just tearing it up, in my opinion, uh, uh, by far and away the best program in the SWAC. I mean, we're only three weeks in to the year, and I mean, there's like us and then maybe everybody else. I, there might be one or two teams in a tier two, and then everybody else falls into tier three. But clearly, Lady Rattlers are starting to separate themselves as a team. That can uh, that can compete against other. Whether you, I don't know if you call mid majors. I don't know if you, if the terminology applies, but you know, using that construct of the basketball mid majors, we're schools within our region. Let's put it like that. We, we're handling ourselves quite nicely. So this time, the Lady Rattlers this past weekend went out to the College of Charleston Classic, came back with two wins. Two wins, uh, just one loss. Uh, we actually played in the most number of uh, sets that we played in in an entire, you know, three-day period. Uh, we beat Campbell University 3-1, uh, then defeated Idaho State 3-2. And I believe in that game, we actually had to come from behind. We were down... Um, two, no, take that back. We were up two one after the third. Uh, ended up giving the third back, uh, the fourth back to Idaho State. Went into a fifth uh, set and uh, ended up winning that fifth set, fifteen to five. And then, of course, we hosted or we played the host, College of Charleston. Beat them. Oh no, we lost to them. Uh, but we did get a win on them. We did win the third set, 25-20, before surrendering the fourth and losing overall 3-1. So uh, four, eight, five, 13 sets played over the weekend. What's your overall take on the Lady Rattlers, who uh, I believe our record right now sits at 5-4 and four on the season? Kelvin? I'm very impressed with this team, we played a diverse group of uh, teams out of conference, and uh, we've been competitive with everybody. And let's not forget the Florida State match, uh, in which we uh, won a set from them also. And um, I think we've only been swept and our losses once. Um, and as Coach Gokhan warned us and told us uh, when he's taking our team to this tournament, He's playing teams that have different styles of volleyball, mm -hmm. so um, so so he's exposing the, the the young ladies into the potential uh, opponents that they'll see if uh, we we win a conference and so forth. You may mention about the swag uh, right now, and I think collectively the swag entire conference outside of us has maybe two or three wins. And then uh, and the only other HBCU I see that's really doing well is Delaware State over in MEAC. 
Um, yeah. They have a pretty good record, too, out of conference. Uh, better than ours, actually. But I don't know if the competition is good, but they are playing. Right, I was going to say, I don't know who they're playing teams. over there, right? Yeah. Right, right. But they are playing similar teams, um, uh, mid-major. So, so um, the team is where I hope they will be. You didn't know because, you know, it's been a couple of years since they played, but you knew there was talent there. And, uh, and just thinking about what Dominique said uh, uh, last week, it's obvious that this team is really gelling and coming together. And for the third week in a row, we swept the uh, the volleyball uh, uh, players of the weeks. So, so uh, we got a lot to be excited about in um, Tallahassee. Yeah, as mentioned, uh, the Rattlers sweep. The players of the week, again, uh, Dominique Washington, uh, friend of the program, we like to say, uh, was the offensive player of the week and newcomer of the week. Uh, her teammate, Jessa Long, uh, was the defensive player of the week. And setter, Irem Ukar. We got to get Irem in here because she's been tearing it up as well. She's been uh, – um, uh, I, I don't think she's a freshman – or is she? Hold on, I'm gonna look it up real quick here. Yeah, I she's a freshman uh, from uh, Izmir, Turkey. Um, previously transferred from TCU. So we uh, we I think that's our next get, Kelvin. We got to work on getting uh, 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 Iram in here. So uh, Dominique, if you're watching, we got to get your teammate Iram in here to come into the podcast to the O and G Strike Zone. Uh, she's a freshman. She's been tearing it up. Uh, I think she's one setter of the week, like every every week here. Uh, so a big day for all three ladies. Um, and, and of course, you, you mentioned the, the standings. FAMU with a record of five and four. And as I look at the SWAC standings combined, the rest of the conference has five wins among four programs. Yeah. So again, I, as I was saying, there's a there's a tier A, which is us, uh, tier two where you got a couple of other schools that are winning, and then there's like everybody else, and, and so that's pretty much how the swag is is looking right now. Um, and, and really, you know, I and, and I know I'm poking fun, but really I'm just talking about games played or sets played. When you go and look at those right. losses, are those three O losses or? Are, are, are some of our SWAC schools getting one win, getting no wins? And right now I'm seeing a lot of blanks, a lot of O3s, three, you know, three, a lot of O3s, O3, O3. Um, you know, I, I'm just looking in here. I saw Jackson State got a, a one of four against Northwestern State uh, this past week. But over the weekend, though, yeah, it's pretty dry, pretty dry. And, and then we're talking like – similar competition. I mean, some of these wins right. are coming against uh, NAIA or Division right. II schools. You know, they're, they're not they're not coming against other Division One programs. We're uh, separating so ourselves, Brian. We, we are. We are in a, yeah. in a real big way. So uh, this weekend, this is the last non-conference weekend for the uh, Lady Rattlers before the conference season starts. They travel up to Auburn, Alabama. So any Rattlers in the uh, – I think Auburn is north. Is it north or central Alabama? I don't really 
my geography is bad in the state of Alabama. I think it's northern Alabama. But uh, either way, if you're near and you can get out to Auburn, Alabama, uh, SEC country, get over there Friday night or Friday afternoon. The ladies take on Auburn University in the first game of three. Then Friday night, they play Belmont University. 6.30 is that game against Belmont. And then Saturday afternoon, 12.30, they take on Nichols State. So I, I got a feeling this will be a real challenge. Uh, first off, you're taking on the SEC opponent to start. And then I think uh, Belmont and Nichols will be very comparative to what we've already seen. So uh, can we get one or two? You know, I'd like to see us still be at 500 overall by the time we come out of Auburn heading into the uh, Jackson competition to start this SWAC on September 24th. Absolutely. And I think we can get, uh, I think we can definitely get two. And uh, I'm a little bit agree. I'm not going to, I'm going to say three is not out of the question. Um, yes, Auburn is in the SEC. Uh, but uh, um, I don't know if they're a top tier SEC program uh, any better than Florida State, uh, which is an ACC. So, so, so I just want the girls to go and compete and, and represent the university like they have, and I'm sure they will, and and um, and it, and we should look really good going into um, conference play. Yeah, um, yeah. Auburn is uh, just looking at their record currently sitting at six and zero. Uh, they have only lost two sets, and that was they got pushed to five by Santa Clara uh, this past weekend. So. They are, um, it'll be interesting. It will definitely be interesting to see how we do. All right, uh, let's take a break. And then when we take a break, we're going to come back for the final segment of the show, give our predictions, our look ahead, our final thoughts about this weekend's contest for the Rattler football team traveling to Tampa. Calvin will be on site. We'll kind of see what he's looking for in this competition. And uh, let's see whether any of us, uh, anybody pick a pick an upset. We'll find out coming up after this short timeout. You're watching the ONG Strike Zone right here. Brian and Kelvin, we'll be back right after these words. Shop Melvin Online Women's Boutique to spice up your closet with trendy, unique looks. We have fashionable and chic looks at very affordable prices. Melvin Boutique offers free shipping all year long on all orders. Shop online at www.melvetboutique.com. That's www.melvetboutique.com. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Shop Melvin Online Women's Boutique. Sugar Chateau Desserts is a specialty bakery located in the Charlotte, North Carolina metro area. We will create delicious and one-of-a-kind treats for any occasion. Sugar Chateau is currently shipping cakes in a jar, offering a variety of different flavors in a single-serve container that can help you celebrate in accordance with social distancing. Place your orders today by calling 803-526-7895 
or visiting SugarChateauDesserts.com. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. Welcome back to the ONG Strike Zone. Final segment here. Brian and Kelvin here. Um, again, uh, make sure you're following us. However you're watching the show on Facebook or YouTube, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe. Uh, if you're watching us on social media, uh, make sure to follow along at ONG Strike Zone on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, of course, hey, the email. Send us emails. Uh, mailbag. Uh, we promise we will answer the mailback question. A lot of people had some comments about Kofi's uh, preseason ban, uh, <laughs> his preseason ban segment. Uh, we will answer those questions next week. We thought we'd be able to answer them this week, or but, but obviously Kofi couldn't be here with us on this show. He said, I will get to those questions next week and some of the reviews on that, but all, all around good stuff. All right, here we go. Week number... Three. This is week three, isn't it? Wow. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, some games around the swag before we get to the FAMU USF contest. Start starting Thursday night. Alabama A and M. The champs are rolling to Florida, but they're rolling over to Daytona Beach to take on Bethune Cookman. It's a seven thirty kickoff on ESPNU. Kelvin, how do you see that one playing out? Ooh. I watched AM against South Carolina State, man, and it was a shootout. And I didn't know South Carolina State could put up the, that kind of points and, get, and would give up that kind of points. Bethune has been playing um, FBS competition in the first two weeks, and they've actually looked pretty decent, right? They've been competitive. Right. Um, I really like their team, honestly. I know, Brian, you was warning at the beginning of the season. He was like, man, I don't, everybody's looking over BCU. And I have to agree with you. I'll give you some flowers, brother, on that one. Oh, thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, because I, I really I really think they're tough, man. They got good size. They're athletic. Um, um, and they're going to be a problem, man. And so um, it's going to have to be another track meet win for A&M. And they obviously have the firepower to do it. But I'm, I'm going to roll with uh, BCU on, on this one, man. I, and in, in a, a semi-shootout, I think I'm going to choose uh, BCU because I think they, they play better defense and more consistent defense. Um, so I probably, I'm probably going to go 35-30 BCU. Wow, okay. 35-30 BCU. See, I'm going 35-28 Alabama A&M. I'm going close ball game. I, I don't know whether it'll be close because A&M – wins it on a late drive or maybe Bethune just kind of puts a late touchdown up. But I, I would not be surprised to go into the fourth quarter and see that game within one score. Uh, so I, I will be out at 
uh, that stadium and over at the game. So uh, look forward to uh, covering that game. So uh, make sure to uh, either uh, follow my personal Twitter feed at DRB365 or uh, on the Black College Sports Network Twitter feed. Some other games on Saturday. We'll get to FAMU and South Florida last. Um, Prairie View is hosting Houston Baptist. Uh, this is a 7 o'clock p.m. kickoff. Mississippi Valley State travels to Stephen F. Austin. That's a 7 o'clock Eastern start. Grambling, after being shut out last week, travels to Houston to play the Cougars. That is a 7 p.m. Eastern. That'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Arkansas Pine Bluff travels to Central Arkansas. Six, uh, 7 p.m. Eastern kickoff. And then a game that I really have circled, it's a, you know, Alcorn got a big FCS victory for the conference. McNeese State traveling to Southern. Head coach Jason Rollins came from McNeese State. McNeese State has, they're like the third, uh, AD Drew and I joke that McNeese State is the 13th member of the SWAC because they have owned the SWAC over the last decade. So can Southern get one for the brand, so to speak? Can they get one for the, for the SWAT culture, as the kids like to say? That's uh, going to be on ESPN Plus, 7 o'clock. And then Alcorn State, who just came up with a big win, uh, traveling to South Alabama, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern. A lot of stuff going on at Alcorn State. A lot yeah. of stuff. You're not, we're not going to talk about other people's houses, but let's just say, looking outside, you walk by the house, you're like, whoa, it's some mess going on over there. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then an FBS upset alert. Jackson State traveling to Louisiana Monroe, 8 p.m. ESPN 3, the Jackson State Tigers are a live dog. You know what you know what that means. You know what that means. I will be looking to play on Jackson State for a second consecutive week as an underdog. I still don't know how they were an underdog against Tennessee State, but neither here nor there. That will be upset. Watch. That might be one of those FCS beat the FBS uh, games. Any of those games I just mentioned? Any what? What's a game or two that you're kind of looking at there, Kelvin? Out of that list I just ran through. I don't see many opportunities for victories, but uh, that Jacksonville Jackson State uh, uh, game is is interesting to me. Louisiana Monroe they lost to Kentucky, which is a really good Kentucky team, forty-five ten. Yeah. Um, they're they're a legitimate group of five program. Um, I I guess what I'm what would probably determine that game for me is uh, Sanders has. How does he does that? How he does as a passer? If he can repeat the forms he did against Tennessee State, he threw the ball very well against Tennessee State, almost 400 yards. So uh, if they can put up points, um, they have a talent level that can stay with that team. So I'm interested to see that. And then, uh, like you, I, I want to see if uh, Southern can defend the home front since uh, Manny State's win. Manny State's going too. If you're gonna get him, just the year to get him. So. Exactly. So, uh, if, this, if you can't get them this year, then, I mean, we might as well just go ahead and print some T-shirts and stick uh, that McNeese State logo on there as the 13th member officially then. I'm just going to say that now. <laughs> if you can't get them now, you may never get them. <laughs> so, uh, all right. 
uh, Florida A&M traveling to Tampa, 7 o'clock kickoff, Raymond James Stadium. Uh, as it was noted, this is the second pro football stadium that the Rattlers will get to play in. So uh, that's a big deal. Still no starter name. I thought that was key. That was important. Uh, no depth chart has been released yet as of our taping in the middle of the week here and and of this evening live. Um, so we have we don't know. And I don't think we will know. But what are what are your takeaways? I don't know if you've got two or three. What are you most interested in seeing this weekend, Kelvin, from the Rattlers? I want to see does this defensive performance that we've seen the first two games, does it translate against FBS competition for four quarters? Um, I, I think our talent level is there, and I think our depth is there. And like I say, we stayed adding pieces to that. And, and who knows, you know, I hadn't seen Dick say yet and some other some other guys. I don't know what their status is, but uh, we, we could be adding pieces. So um, and as far as I know, everybody's healthy for the most part on that side of the ball. So so I want to see if, if, if that translates against SBS competition. And then with offense, I just want to see more, just sustained production, right? You know, I, I like to see us to have, you know, eight, ten play drives, even if we don't score. So we we not, you know, it's not lopsided. Defense is always on the field. Um, and, and, and I want to see if we can keep it close, right? You know, this is a game, our talent level, if we get solid quarterback play, you know, not don't have to be spectacular. But if we get solid, solid quarterback play and keep it close, like like uh, Nathan said, you know, you know, you don't, you know, it get tight in the third, fourth quarter when you ain't put away somebody you think you're better than. So I would like for us to be in that position. But but again, I, I'm I'm thinking and I'm hoping that um, our defense is good enough. Uh, well, we'll be in the game, and um, I would I would like to see Rashawn start again. I, I don't blame coaches. There's no need to really name a starter. And then, and then the big scheme of things for this game, I don't know how much it matters, to be honest. Uh, so if you have a platoon system, if that's the way you're going to go, that's fine. But uh, but but I, I think I would, I would like to see Rashawn start at least and see how it goes from there. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and throw my prediction out there, right? Uh, I want to be a homer so bad. I really do. <laughs> But I have to be honest and, and think what I think going to happen. So I, I, I'm hoping and thinking we'll keep it close in the first half and keeping it close in the first half to me is, you know, within 10 points, right? So say they 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 have a 21-10 lead or something at half. I think that's solid. Now, if we can come out in the third quarter and make adjustments and not allow not them to separate from us, then I think we can be in the game to the fourth quarter, which which means we're in the game. I, but I don't know if our quarterback, our offensive scoring, if we don't put enough points, I don't know if we can do that. So I'm looking at a score similar to what Nathan was kind of predicting. Um, but it would be good if we can get that many points. So I'm saying if we can get 21, anything over 17 is good to me against them and keep them under 35 then that's a good showing and that's 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 what i expect to see that's what i want to see and but but i feel like they'll separate late 
and um, probably get a few calls. So, so let's say uh, the thirty to seventeen USF. So you go thirty to seventeen. Okay. Well, uh, for for me, what I'd like to see, I, I would like to see us run the ball more than pass the ball. I, I really want us to be more 50-50. I would even say, can we go 55-45? I think that's what this – one, I think it'll keep us in the ball game. I think we have enough misdirection as well as the combination of some power sets that we can do a combination of both and use our speed and use our power. I don't think we want to be passing the ball all day. That's the first thing. I think we, the longer we're able to keep ourselves on the field, the more rest we can give our defense. Um, I, I, I kind of agree with you about starting McKay. But with that said, I would like for Coach Simmons to at least maybe tell those two guys, Muratovic and, and uh, McKay, hey, look, at least for the first half, we're going to go two, two, uh, two possessions per. Give McKay two possessions then give Muratovic to. And then let's see where we're at at halftime. I mean, as Nathan was talking about, it works for other programs. Right now, until we see one guy sustain some good drives, and and I think we're looking for things other than just the completion and drives. We're looking for the right reads, the good throws, not balls that are skipping off the turf or out of our, you know, out of our, out of the, 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 the catch radius of our receivers. We're looking for, you know, good direction, you know, steady, steady leadership, good passes, uh, good footwork, good decision making. Don't turn the ball over. That guy is the guy who's going to carry the rest of the game into the second half, maybe even the fourth quarter, because I do think we can still be in this ball game. I will be shocked if we get eviscerated in the first quarter, first half. I, that would really depress me more than anything I've seen thus far this season. And I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like you, I'm trying to hold back my thoughts here because I know in 2019, I kind of thought we might show up against UCF. We do. No, we had some people who weren't ready for that game. Uh, you know, looked a little like they had some deer in the headlights. And didn't want to be yeah. out there. I I don't think that is this team. We have enough FBS transfers that the, look they've got eighteen FBS transfers overall on that roster. It's a rebuild. We've got ten just on the defensive side of the ball. Hell, we got ten who just came in over the last two weeks, probably. So I mean, we, we there should be no lack of talent and ability. Our our offensive line averages three eleven. Their offensive line averages. 309, just under 310. We match up offensive line versus offensive line. Uh, they may have, you know, they don't have any great, powerful defensive front guys. We don't either. But so where we are advantageous is in the secondary. So let those secondary guys run. Cut them loose, man. Let Antoine Collier and and uh, and Dixon and the bowler boy, let man, let cut these guys loose. So hopefully we can still stay in this ball game going into the fourth quarter. Um, I, like you, want to make the homer prediction. And if I had my wish, I would say FAMU wins 28-24. to 24. 
But I don't know if we can score four touchdowns on offense, to be honest with you. So with that said, I got to cut that in half and say a final score of 24 to 14. Uh, And that's, again, just based off what I've seen from the uh, offense. And and I think USF getting 14 may come mostly in in the late second half when our defenses work their butt to the bone and maybe USF gets a late score. You know, the game might be close all the way and then they get a late score to push it to 24-14. But, you know, it'd be nice to think that our offense could get four touchdowns. Uh, And it is encouraging that they don't have the kind of guys that wiped us out the last three games, last three times we played USF. Those, As Nathan said, those guys aren't walking through the door. So it, it does make you feel a little, just a smidge better about this game. But, you know, I, I'm going to be a realist this day and hope I'm wrong. I'm just going to hope I'm wrong. Uh, so my final prediction. Hey, hey Brian, don't it hurt when you have to, you can't predict the rallies. <laughs> I, it does. It, it's kind of it's 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 a, it's a it's a bad feeling. Uh, Kofi's yeah. prediction, Kofi's prediction was worse than both of ours. He actually thinks it'll be more like a thirty-five to three. Uh, so I mean, he he's not even optimistic about getting a touchdown. But again, he said it's more so a product of the offense. So I think we're all kind of saying the same thing. You've got the offense scoring seventeen. I've got fourteen. Kofi's got three. So. Let's just hope the offense exceeds our expectation. That's that's the thing. And if the offense exceeds our expectation, let's we gotta we gotta feel pretty good that the defense continues to do what they've done, and uh, we'll have a productive contest. Let me let so, me get one right. more oh, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Special yeah. teams, right? Okay, if we can break a kick off of a pump. We we got a good kicker in the kicking game. If he can break a a punt, a kick, you know, then add that with a defensive turnover for a score. There's, there's more ways to get points than just on offense. So I think it's that's what kind of, to pull the upset. We're going to need that that kind of effort from the defense and special teams to help the offense. That that's a good point. That's a great point. So uh, who knows? Maybe FAMU can be the ninth, or if depending upon what somebody else does, maybe the tenth. But uh, uh, I'll go bold prediction. An FCS team will defeat an FBS team this weekend. Question is, who will uh, it HBCU be? HBCU, uh, uh, HBCU. That's my question. Oh well, okay, yes, I, I'm going to say yes. Bold prediction, yes. An HBCU FCS will beat uh, an FBS this weekend. I just don't know who. So we'll we'll kind of sit back and wait to see. All right, so that's going to do it for tonight's show. Uh, please like, uh, like, share, subscribe. Uh, let Rattler Nation, let your friends know. Let uh, Black College uh, sports fans know about the ONG Strike Zone. Uh, make sure you're following us, as you see on the screen, at ONG Strike Zone. Follow uh, the, uh, the Jericho Broadcast Network's app on the Google and Apple Play Store. Search MyJBN or MyBCSN is where you can find that app. And then, of course, the podcast version goes up later. That's on the BCSN Pod Zone, where you can find a host of shows, news, views, reviews on all kinds of 
black college sports topics and schools. So all of that is there just uh, in one convenient place for you to go. Our show will be there as well. Uh, if you have any comments or suggestions, uh, send them to ongstrikezone at gmail.com. Make sure to let us know uh, your thoughts about uh, this upcoming weekend, anything that you'd like to see us talk about, any special guests, uh, any Rattlers um, that uh, you know out there that would like to, that we uh, can talk to. We, we'd love to bring on the family. So uh, that's going to do it for this show. Uh, for our friend who's not here and co-host, Kofi Hemingway, and for Kelvin Rozier, I'm Brian Fulford. Hey, Rattler Nation, head out to Tampa. Be safe and make sure to strike, strike, and strike again. Good night.